0: Episode 40 of The Build. We're in our Yoel Armia era. We are revisiting our Charlie Lindgren age, more on that in a second, but we are also in our Ben Scrivens chapter, two guys that I talked about last week, or actually this week I recorded on Tuesday. Um, I thought I messed up last week when I looked at the the have sweater numbers section of uh of hockey reference, but it turns out Charlie Lindgren wore 40 for a second in 2017-2018. Um, likely because in 15-16, Mike Condon was wearing 39, and in 16-17, Lindgren joined the Canadians, and I believe it was still the ice caps at that point. Um, Condon should have worn 39 in sixteen, seventeen, and he likely was in training camp, but then he got waived in training camp so that nobody wore thirty nine and then script or Lingren went down to thirty nine the following year. So that's interesting. <clears throat> Sorry. If I keep clearing my throat, um I'm gonna try not to, but you never know. Um we uh we've been we've been busy this week. This is my fifth podcast of sorts. I did two episodes of Locked On Canadians with the wonderful Laura Saba. Um, this is the second episode of the build that I've done and I was on uh Game Over Montreal last night uh, for the Ducks game with Marc Jimon. that ended at about 1:30. Um so, you know, it's been a it's been a busy week. Um at any rate, we have a lot of pressing matters to get to. So, We'll start with the trade deadline being a bit of a dud for the Canadians. Um, Really just two small moves for Montreal on the actual day of the deadline. First, they send Nate Schnarr to the Kings, um, really the Ontario Reign of the AHL, because Schnarr was with the Laval Rocket of the AHL. Um, And in exchange, Montreal gets Frederic Allard, um, a defenseman for the Ontario Reign. At the time this trade was made, this was thought to possibly set up a, a Joel Edmondson trade because Montreal would need a defender to play on Friday night with Edmondson. Um, you know, Edmondson being traded and Justin Barron being hurt, um, he's out with an upper body injury. Um, Allard was in um, San Jose with the reign of the you know the Kings organization and would have likely been able to make it to Anaheim for a game for the with the Canadians. Um, but that obviously did not take place. So they swap an AHL forward for an AHL defenseman. Perhaps Allard has third pairing NHL upside, but if not, it's a pretty benign deal either way. Um, it's one that I don't think they made callously just because. I think that, you know, they, they recognize that maybe there's a chance here with Allard to become an NHLer that Nate Schnarr might not have um, that same potential. And the only other move the Canadians made was to get in on the salary retention market. Montreal facilitates a deal between the San Jose Sharks and the Pittsburgh Penguins that ultimately sent Nick Bonino to Pittsburgh at 25% salary. Um, Montreal gets a fifth-round pick and Tony Sund, a 27-year-old defenseman playing for Rogel BK of the SHL. um, For taking on some salary that goes away at the end of the season, this is pretty standard. Uh, Montreal also sends uh, Henrik Arvidsson to uh, the San Jose Sharks. He was a seventh-round draft pick by the Canadiens. I can't even tell you what year. He has, not, he's not in, he has absolutely zero NHL upside, so um, there's really no... It seems like it was just a... a not even a contract slot, because I don't think he was signed, but a right slot moving. Um, Sund himself is a defenseman, probably does not have much NHL upside, but he is the defensive partner for Adam Engstrom, a Canadiens 2022 third-round pick um, over in the SHL. So maybe he's eventually a Laval contract to to help Engstrom come along in the NHL or you know to the North American game, but even that seems a bit far fetched. Just because you'd usually want a defensive partner who also understood the the North American game, but you know, definitely definitely an odd an odd pickup of of names flying around there. But the pick, the fifth round pick, was a pretty much standard. Montreal got just about as much as San Jose did, and they actually you know. They were the ones who were actually giving up Benino, We were just getting involved. Um, and that was it. There was no Joel Edmondson uh, deal that was theorized over the last few days. No one bid on Mike Hoffman with another year on his deal or Jonathan Dwayne on an expiring deal. Um, I think underwhelming is an understatement, but I don't think it was disappointing. I, I I know that we've been throwing that word around that it was a disappointment, but to me, disappointing implies that it wasn't expected. And for the last month or so, this was more or less what we expected. You know, we had, we had thought that maybe Montreal could get in on more salary retention trades. Um, but using our preseason expectations, you can be disappointed, right? That if we go back to what we thought the Canadians were going to do at this deadline back in September, you know, it would be understandable to say, well, they didn't do what they were supposed to. But... The Canadiens' reality has shifted tremendously since the season started. Um, Montreal's big trade ships were either hurt or playing poorly. I'll start with Dodonov. He had a really bad year for Montreal. The fact that Montreal managed to turn him into Garyanov is a pretty nice piece of business for them. I think he's, um, you know... I think he's got third line upside for the Canadians, uh, an energy kind of player. He seems really fast. He likes to shoot a lot. I can also see there's why Dallas Stars fans were frustrated with him because there, are, there were shifts where he, you know, you know the puck hits him in the skates. Uh, this happened in the Ducks game. There was a shift where the puck hits him in the skates, and instead of going to get it, he just keeps going in the line that he was on. Um, but that's a that's a decent piece of business considering that Montreal wanted a third round pick. They couldn't get one, and they had to pivot. Um, Monaghan was supposed to be this great rental option at the deadline, as long as he stayed healthy. That if was always a massive if, and it did not play out that way. Monahan played just 25 games with the Canadiens this year. He might not play another one. I know Kent Hughes said that he had a setback in his, um, injury rehabilitation and they're hopeful he's able to play before the end of the year. But at this point, who knows? Um, despite being great in those 25 games, he was not a tradable asset. Especially with the NHL's memo to all 32 teams prior to the deadline, telling them that transactions that used LTIR, long-term injured reserve, to circumvent the cap would be scrutinized. Columbus admitted as much that that altered the market on Gus Nyquist, a player who should be back by the end of the season, but potentially a team would be able to fit him under the cap, put him on LTIR, and then, you know, acquire a bunch of other pieces on top of that. So, Aunt Monahan, there. I think it's one of the only places that I I really want to say that the Canadians might have screwed up a little bit, just because he was playing. They played him while he was hurt. They did. We saw it. He was leaving games um, when they were on that Western Canada trip. He was leaving games in a walking boot or or you know a knee brace, something along the lines of a medical device on his lower body. Um, it, it's not. That was and they wanted to get him to the Calgary game because they wanted him to to you know have his flowers against Calgary. But I think and I think the next game he played was against Seattle and I think he played like a shift and then left. It, it just seems like from the outside looking in, it seems like they could have handled that better. So that that is a missed opportunity for the Montreal Canadiens, which I don't think is the end of the world, but it's a missed opportunity to collect an asset that they 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 otherwise wouldn't have. Um Edmondson being hurt the weeks into the deadline likely scared off um a lot of the teams that were interested because not so much that they were afraid that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to play, because ultimately he is playing now, right? And he looks he looks like Joel Edmondson, right? He doesn't look I mean, I, I he didn't he doesn't he never looks all that great, but that's neither here nor there. Um but I think a lot of people didn't want to pay the full price for him if he was a little banged up and Hughes didn't want to take a pay cut for Joel Edmondson. So they held him Um, and there was no market for Mike Hoffman and there was no market for Jonathan Drouin. So that's just the way it is. So the deadline lacked activity for the Canadians, but I don't think it lacked logic. I think given the state, the Canadians are currently in their deadline moves or lack thereof makes sense. Now, I know that the pro-tank movement, who I, I think I'm, I'm pretty much a, in, you know, aligned with, wanted to see more moves to make the team worse, which is a fair argument to make, honestly. If you're not going to get better at the deadline, you should try to get worse, right? The, the, the problems I see with that are logistical. The, 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 the problem is that they were never going to get substantially worse by moving one of their 18 healthy skaters, right? Think of a defenseman that they would trade that would make them worse. They're all defensemen that you'd want to keep on this team long-term. Like, Joel Edmondson, honestly, like, that might have been addition by subtraction, because I just don't think he's particularly strong, um, you know, at at this juncture of his NHL career. It was going to have to be a goaltending move. And I know that folks have been asking to trade a goalie this entire season, I think the Canadians came into this season thinking, well, we have Montembeau and Allen and neither of them are particularly good, so we should be fine as far as like goaltenders stealing wins for this team. That hasn't transpired. The Canadians have had good goaltending. But there hasn't been a lot of goaltending moved around the league this year, Um, especially at this deadline. Looking back at the list of trades quickly, there was one noteworthy NHL goaltender traded and it was the 876 Jonathan Quick who was only traded to the Jackets in the first place as part of a cap dump so that the Kings could take Gavrikov and Corposalo, who's, you know, a fine goalie, but he's not particularly great this year either. Um, so really, you can say those two goalies were traded for each other. And in that case, like, if, if the Canadians are looking at moving a goalie, they're probably taking one back. What's the point at that point? Um There was not a market to trade Allen or Montembeau at this deadline. Um, Maybe that changes next season when um, Montembeau is in the last year of his deal. He's got um, he's got a very manageable cap hit at a million bucks. Allen, on the other hand, he gets a raise next year. He go for the next two seasons after this one. He goes from two point eight seven five million to three point eight million. So you'd have to find a team in need of a 1B goalie and Alan would need to play like a 1B goalie, which he kind of has this year. Um, so I get the frustration. It's never fun sitting back and watching the other teams make their moves. But the one thing here that I think we need to remember is that this is a long process and the Canadians have a plan. Their plan right now is to capitalize on moving some of their older veteran pieces and they're sticking to that. They're sticking to the values that they have for those players. Um, and they're sticking to their idea of, of what's going to advance their cause, as, as I think um, Kent Hughes said in his me- media availability afterwards. Which is something you can't really say about some of the Canadians' contemporaries in the basement right now, right? Like the Coyotes are a mon- money laundering scheme. I have no idea when that team plans on being good again, or even being a hockey team again. You know, Connor Bedard probably lifts them a little bit, but, like, that's a that's a ghost ship of a hockey team. The Canucks have no idea if they're coming or goalie- going. They bought and sold at this deadline. It made no sense. Columbus overplayed their hand on Gavrikov and had to package him with a goaltender to get a prime asset and then eat a contract coming back the other way and then deal that contract. Philly added Brendan Lemieux for some reason and and failed the trade JVR. Philly now has Brendan Lemieux, Tony D'Angelo, and John Tortorella. That's going to be a mess. San Jose seems to have handedly lost the Timo Meyer trade. So a lot of teams make mistakes on trade deadline day. The Canadians have made mistakes in the past on trade deadline day. Like, you know, as much as I don't think it's a mistake... And we'll talk about this trade a little in a little bit, the Lekkonen deal seems to have, you know, the, the luster has come off of that one a little bit, not to the fault of Justin Barron, who I think is playing some pretty good hockey, just because Lekkonen is still who he is with the avalanche, but he has the avalanche around him to amplify him. Um, so Ken Hughes is a firm negotiator in that I think he has a price that he wants, and if he doesn't get it, he will wait. And if he can't wait, he pivots. We saw this first, the first real pivot with with Dodonov this year, and that might work out. He didn't need to pivot on Ben Chirot because there were teams lining up for him, and he got the deal he wanted. He didn't need to pivot on Joel Edmondson because he still has time on that deal. Same with Anderson, same with Hoffman. And for the time being, it's working for him. Um, Where we might run into problems in the future is where firmness turns into stubbornness. I don't think that we've gotten anywhere close to that point yet, but the next season will be another test with um, three NHL UFAs coming up. Like how firm can he afford to be, um, you know, going into next season? And then when this team, hopefully soon, not too soon, transitions from, you know, basement dweller to bubble team, how firm can he afford to be then? So with that, like there wasn't much movement this 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 week for the Canadians outside of the Dodonov trade, which was really the most substantial one. Um, let's let's revisit the trade tiers, which I talked about before, and we'll see how everything has has shaken out. For those who don't remember, I've been keeping all of Kent Hughes' trades organized in a trade tracker, um, a tier list. The intent of this was that it was going to be a living, breathing document. So I wanted to revisit the tiers and see how things have worked out. Um, if you want to follow along at home, check my Twitter feed at Maybe It's Ian for the latest tier list. Um, it'll be there somewhere, probably attached to whatever tweet I announced the, uh, the episode on. Um, it works the same as just about any basic tier list. The S tier is the best rank, then A, B, C, D, and F. And I have a draft picks tier because I don't know what to do with that information at the moment. Um, we'll see if those become anything <laughs> at any point in time. Um, so we'll start at the top. We'll go from the S tier. At the last rating back in August, there were two trades listed here, and now I only have one. The Ben Chirot trade is the only S-tier trade at the moment. Um, Getting a potential lottery pick for a sub-replacement-level defenseman was, is, and always will be tremendous value, and it is still the largest theft of Hughes' tenure in Montreal. Um, We'll have to see what they do with that draft pick, but it seems like this is a strong draft to get a lottery unprotected pick from. Um... It may impact it, but even so, I think just that first-round pick value that they get for whoever, you know, for Ben Sherratt, whoever that pick becomes, I think it stays in that tier. Um, the Monahan trade has been moved out of the top tier, so that was the only other trade that was in the S tier. We'll get to that one later. Um, the A tier, there were two trades here. I have removed one for the time being. Um, the Kulak trade is now the only A tier trade. Um, Kulak for Lagosin and a second-round pick... Was um, decent value at the time. It was. I thought it was still very good for for what Kulak brings. That that pick has become Lane Hudson, um, is phenomenal for the Canadians. Actually, I think Kulak the Kulak deal, the Kulak deal last time was a B tier trade. So I have moved it up. Um, this is an A tier trade because Lane Hudson might become a franchise defenseman, um, which is is. It, to get that for Brett Kulak, who I loved I loved having him in Montreal. I thought he was one of one of, if not the most underrated defensemen on this roster. Um, but we kind of know where Lane Hudson is headed. so this has to climb the ranking a little bit just out of pure value. Um, so yeah, B tier. this is a much busier tier now. Um, we went from three trades, the Kulak trade, the Weber trade to uh, to Vegas and the Romanoff trade to the Islanders to six total trades. Um, the Romanoff trade that went to the Islanders for the 13th overall pick and the Weber trade to the Knights for Dodonoff remain in this category, so those two are still there, but a bunch of trades have moved around it. The trade that landed uh, Kirby Dock from the Islanders moves up from the C tier to the B tier just because of how well Kirby Doc has played. Um... That, that has those those two trades the Romanoff for the 13th overall pick and the Weber or the 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 Doc trade for um you know that for that 13th overall pick I think they'll kind of be intertwined for the rest of this unless Romanoff takes a huge leap for the Islanders and that that value slides a little bit but at any rate like the play of Kirby Doc has kind of um controlled my thought process here and that they've got a young centerman who Whatever line he's on seems to be the best line on the team um that's that's really, really great value for that area of the draft and for Romanoff if you want to combine those two trades. um The Monahan trade falls two tiers from s to uh b as uh, we stated earlier, Monahan couldn't stay healthy. um the placement at the top of the tiers was somewhat contingent on them getting another asset for him at the deadline. It's still a good trade because they turned cap space into a first round draft pick. That's very, very good. Um, we I still don't know what year that trade is going, that, that first round pick is going to come in, but we'll, we will cross that bridge when we get to it. It's still a good trade, but I want to keep a really high standard for what that S tier is. Like, is it better than the Sharat trade? It can't be because they traded negative value for something great. Um, so we'll see, you know. How, how all these other trades develop. But this one's probably going to stay at this point because Monaghan's probably, you know, unless Montreal re-signs him, he's probably done. And we'll just have to wait and see what that pick is, honestly. Um, the Petrie uh, slash paling trade for Mike Matheson moves up two tiers from the D tier to the B tier. Um, as Matheson has really established himself as Montreal's best defenseman, something I did not anticipate being a factor on the day of the trade. Petrie has somewhat disappointed in Pittsburgh, but Matheson while he's been healthy has been really really uh really really good for the Canadians and also just like really fun to watch. He just like he, he's he's decided that he wants to be David Savard and pull out that spinorama, but he wants to do it like 30 times a game instead of Savard's once every 30 games. Um so that he's been loads of fun. That trade is really really looking strong for the Canadians. Um and finally that Dodonov trade that sent him to the Dallas Stars for Gurianov um, finds itself in the B tier. Um, they turned a UFA who struggled mightily in Montreal into a 25-year-old RFA with some pretty interesting raw talent. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun trade for the Canadians. If it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. Maybe it moves down a tier to, to, to the C tier. But for now, the upside here is that Montreal gets a, a potential third-line player um, for years to come. All right, C tier. We went from four trades in this category to six. Um, tier lists typically see a bell curve like this, um, where you know the middle categories have more entries than the higher low end of the ranking, and that seems to have worked out here as well. Wasn't intentional, but you know everything's sort of you know the the best trades will 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 see themselves to the top, the worst trades will see themselves to the bottom, and everything else kind of just figures out. You know we're we're kind of just arguing minutia between them and putting them in the middle categories um the Bad- the brandon baddock the the and the hammond trade and the Tafoli trades all remain in this tri- this tier nothing earth-shattering but good value for these players helpful for their not only in the moment when they traded baddock for hammond um and then they traded hammond for i believe nate schnar who they've now turned into a defenseman so that trade tree is kind of um interesting there Not game breakers by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, trades that addressed needs both um, in the moment and in the future for the Canadians. The Lekkanen trade slides down two tiers from the A tier to the C tier. It's nothing against Justin Barron. I think he's played pretty well this season. I still have really high hopes for him, especially because the Canadians are lacking right shot defensemen. Um... I think this is just a little bit of an overcorrection on my part because I probably rated this trade too too generously at first um, because I, you know, Arturi Lekkonen played really well for the Canadians, but he was never put in situations where he was going to be allowed to do the things that he is now able to do in Colorado, right? Like he's playing power play minutes in Colorado with Colorado's offense instead of like, we'll throw you on the second wave of the Canadians power play where you'll play with Yoel Armia and, and Mike Hoffman like it's just it, they're different they're not in the same league um, so I think that's mostly just an overcorrection for me it's, it has nothing to do with the play of Justin Barron I still kind of believe that he might be a middle pairing defenseman for the Canadians um, the Benino trade is added to this tier list which is very funny to say because the Canadians <laughs> never had Nick Benino, although they did for the purposes of this trade um, they get a fifth round pick for salary retention Um, it's really not a big deal. It's a, it's, it's a nice piece of business for Kent Hughes who, um, turned nothing into something. Um, as is the Frederick Allard trade, they get a 25 year old local defenseman with a potential bottom pairing NHL upside for a player without any real NHL upside. Um, so overall, Kent Hughes's work on the trade front is still very strong. Some have not aged as well as I had expected. Some have gotten better with age. Um, but we have not seen any trades that have moved the Canadians further away from their goals, right? Like nothing, the lowest tier that I have here is C. There's no Ds and there's no Fs. Um, there's one pick in the draft picks, or there's one trade in the draft picks tier, which is the uh, 2022 fourth round pick with Vegas. I'm, I imagine I could go put the player in there. You guys can go look it up. But I don't really think it's of consequence at the moment, and it might never be of consequence. So that's why it lives in that in that tier. Um. <clears throat> So that's it for trades for now. Um, I don't know how how much they'll be done from now until the draft because, you know, last year they made a trade during the Stanley Cup final. Um, obviously, it was a dead cap hit in in uh, Shea Weber for Evgeny Dodonov. And, you know, the Canadians have that option again if they choose to do it with Carey Price. I don't think they will, but you never know. <clears throat> um so we kind of have to look forward to you know what what are we looking forward to <clears throat> excuse me by the end of the season through the rest of the regular season and into the off season um at sports and beer on twitter asked um would really like to hear your ultimate and also realistic off season plans for the canadians there's going to be a lot of time to get into the nitty gritty about this but i do think a general framework um building one out now you know what are their priorities i think that that could be a a, a decent exercise in sort of um you know, predicting what this team might do. Um, the first thing is prepare for the draft. I think that's what Kent Hughes had already kind of said they're going to do from this point on. Um, it's it, he. I think he said he's headed over to Europe to do some scouting. Every draft is so crucial for the Canadians right now because their cupboards are still pretty barren. I mean, there's they have they have top you know they have some some decent talent in there, but the idea with these drafts is to keep collecting more, um, not only to build your current team, but to use as, you know, capital in trades in the future. Um, Montreal has 11 picks at the 2023 draft that may fluctuate between now and then. Um, They need to continue to find impact players with their high picks and they need to find NHLers with upside in their later picks. Like the lottery, while it's fun to speculate on, it's entirely out of their control. What is in their control is maximizing the value of every pick they are awarded. Um, Next, I think they're going to have to re-engage in conversations around trading veteran players. Can you get a team to make a strong play for Josh Anderson this summer, potentially at the draft? Um, What about Joel Edmondson or Mike Hoffman? Ken Hughes said something pretty interesting after the trade deadline regarding the number of salary retention spots the Canadians used. Um, They're only using two. They could have tried to get a third contract to retain at the deadline, but he mentioned that that would have kept him from using a retention spot at the draft because that would have been three. It would have been Bonino, Dodonoff, and that whoever that third player was that they retained on, perhaps like a Patrick Kane or something like that. Um, all the retention spots stay on the books until July. So this means that Hughes is at least entertaining the idea of retaining a full season of like Joel Edmondson or Mike Hoffman at the draft, to trade to a team who will get a full season of those players as opposed to get 20 games and then playoffs out of them, so it's something to look out for this summer. I thought that was a rather interesting take. He wants to keep himself flexible to make you know moves that that will continue to advance their cause. Uh, I if I was the Canadians, I'd continue to look for goaltending futures. I just talked about this on Friday night on Game Over Montreal with Mark Jumon. But the Canadians do not have a blue chip goaltending prospect. That doesn't mean that they have zero NHL caliber starters in their system. Um, if Montembeau keeps playing like this, he is at very least an NHL starter. But they don't really have like they don't have a no doubter like a Devin Levi or a Yaroslav Askarov or like Spencer Knight in Florida. Like they don't have they don't have that. Um, and maybe Montreal doesn't need to, doesn't need to get one of those or doesn't end up getting one of those. But that just means that they need to take a lot more swings on later round guys or potentially like college free agents to find a goalie who can, you know, who the Canadians can look at for 10 plus years as their starting goaltender. Um, And lastly, they need to lock up Cole Caulfield. Um, I know that it's become somewhat of a meme on Twitter to respond to every Canadian's tweet with announced Caulfield extension. Um no reputable sources have had anything on this negotiation so it's tough to know where it's at at the moment but the more it lingers the louder this is going to get i think ultimately it gets done before the draft if i had to guess um, if if you know you're making me guess on the contract uh, i'll get very specific and say 8 years 7.522 million dollars because players love putting their their number into their cap hit somewhere um it's, a, it's, it's not an issue at the moment that the Canadians haven't extended Cole Caulfield, but it's going to become one soon if they don't. And the issue with that being, you know, around the league, American players um, typically do not like playing in Canadian markets. There's always rumors of them leaving, whether it's Kachuk, who ended up leaving uh, Calgary, whether it's Austin Matthews, who is always rumored to be leaving, although I don't think he actually is, to Johnny Gaudreau, who left for home at the first opportunity he had. So I don't think that it gets to that point for the Canadians, but it's going to become a, a topic of conversation if it does not get done at some point in the near future. I think if it I think if it lingers past the draft, we're we're probably um we're probably talking about it a whole lot more than we are right now. So those are my top priorities heading into the offseason. We've got a lot of ways. We've got a long time before we get there, obviously, and again, like we're talking four months into the future here, you know, to get to to get to the draft, to get to a free agency. The expectations or the reality for the Canadians might shift dramatically by that point. So who knows? Who knows what what the you know when we get to that point, what their priorities truly are? It'll be interesting. I I still. I'm still trying to figure out how this, how this front office operates. I think I've got a pretty decent idea of the, the moves that we can expect. But other than that, like, it seems very much that they are, they're still working away at their plan. They're still building internally, um, building their teams out internally. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got this week. Thanks for, um, uh listening not only here, but it's been a, a busy week for me elsewhere as well. I, like I said at the beginning, I did two, this is the second episode of this show. I did two guest spots on Locked on Canadians and a very late night game over with uh, Mark Dumont on the SDPN. Um, it's been a blast. I really enjoyed doing all these things. I never thought that I'd be able to do that. But if if the NHL ever schedules the Canadians to go on a West Coast trip the week of the trade deadline again, I might snap. Like This was just too much. Um, so hopefully that never happens again. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. That's where you'll find the the trade tiers as well. Um, so go check there. Um, at Rabbit Hubs for the blog. Um, the build is on Facebook. If you follow there, episodes will go up there as well. If that's your platform of choice. Um, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is "Inside" by Fred Mug. Check the link in the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to check out the rest of his stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Take care. I'll see ya.